0: We begin today with another social media interaction that retaught me something important. In our last episode, we talked at length about how unreasonable and destructive it is to believe that God would ever inspire you to break a commandment or covenant. We were discussing the principle generally, but we're both gay Latter-day Saints doing a podcast about LGBTQ issues, so of course that's the lens that we're usually looking through. Would God ever inspire a gay member of the church to date or marry someone of the same sex? Now our answer was a resounding no. God wouldn't call prophets to teach something so repeatedly and consistently as the structure of eternal families. And then wink and nod at a select few to assure them they're an exception. An exception that just so happens to coincide with their self-interests. So I posted a clip from our last episode that addressed this principle, and I got a few comments and stitch videos on TikTok that were making the same argument. God asked Nephi to kill Laban, which was against the commandments, so why wouldn't he inspire a gay member of the church to date the same sex? I've gotten this argument before, and of course it doesn't hold water. God wasn't asking Nephi to break a commandment, The very definition of a commandment is an order given by God to do or not do something. The fact that Nephi was commanded by God through the actual voice of an angel leaves for little wiggle room for the misinterpretation that so often accompanies personal revelation through the still small voice. As Preston put it in our last episode, it's easy to misinterpret it, misinterpret the satisfying of an appetite as a divine stamp of approval. Um much much more much easier than misinterpreting the voice of an angel. Not to mention the law Nephi was under at the time allowed for exceptions exceptions to kill when God had delivered the person into your hands and when the person is guilty of things like bearing false witness Theft and attempted murder, all of which guilty was, uh, all of which Laban was guilty of. Um, of course, we have different standards today, but this was the law that they were under at the time, and that was the standard that God held them to. Uh, BYU professor and scholar John W. Welch and the Fair Organization both have great resources on this. If you're interested in le- learning more, I'll link them in the description. Uh, but my focus today isn't the justifications for why God commanded Nephi to kill Laban. Instead, I want to speak to the pattern that I, that I, I and so many of you experience online when you're standing up for truth. Like clockwork, when I share something gospel-related, whether or not I get critical responses uh, depends on one simple pattern. If one critic responds, more and more pile on. The first critic opens the door and empowers others to dogpile, usually with some version of the same argument. I pinned a comment on the post explaining the exceptions to the law of Nephi's time, but it didn't matter. Heckler after heckler lobbed some version of the same argument over and over, until the post was overrun the virtual equivalent of a pitchfork mob found the post and in a strange mix of independence and collectivism they beat down my door in a rage Uh, this was a fairly mild one too a recent one which much which with much larger of a mob uh, was over general conference weekend when i tweeted something about not having to agree morally with same-sex unions in order to love LGBTQ people. Uh, That fairly obvious statement upset all of progressive LDS Twitter, um, ushering in hundreds of angry responses, and the, the arguments were nearly all the same thing. Essentially, you can't disagree with someone's identity. The idea that you're denying someone's very existence by upholding your religious values. I think it's Strange to argue you're denying someone exists while simultaneously talking about them, but this type of language is common in that elk. I've learned and relearned a few things in the many experiences I've had with a virtual pitchfork mob. First, there is strength in numbers. No matter how benign or reprehensible your opinions, if you're looking, you can find an online community to affirm you those beliefs the amount of people that agree with you isn't an indicator to the truth of your beliefs but it does make it much easier to justify your beliefs traditional physical mobs tend to gather around identifying a cause they want to rally behind Uh, social media as i've heard it said is the reverse of that virtual pitchfork mobs are always gathered Constantly on the lookout for the next kink in the machine to attack, like a swarm of sharks, they sniff out their prey and pounce after the first drop of blood is drawn. Of course, uh, the same applies to defenders of truth. If someone you respect is pushing back against the bad ideas in modern culture, you'll you'll feel empowered to do the same. Peer pressure is usually looked at in a negative light, but it's only a tool to be used for good or evil. Feeling social pressure to do good is actually a positive thing because it gives us an incentive to stay on the path, hopefully providing leading us to uh, develop better reasons to stay. The second thing that I've learned from dealing with virtual mobs is you're never going to win if you are on the defensive. I'm no expert in sports, but I do know that the only time you can score a point is when you're on the offense. If you're constantly defending, not only are you never going to score a point, but you're going to tire more easily. It takes more effort to anticipate and counteract someone else's moves instead of executing the moves of your own volition. But how do you get on the offense? Um, Well, it's completely in your power. In a public discourse, playing defense is the default. All it takes to defend is to scroll social media to find something to take issue with and make it your case. On the other hand, um, offense requires you to proactively take a stance, explain it clearly, and then sift between honest critics and bitter trolls. You'll likely face many attempts to place you uh, to place you back in defense but you don't have to go there this doesn't mean that you'll never defend something that you say but it does mean that you more often just declare truth and let it stand on its own and then if you and then you can parse out the honest criticism and make adjustments as needed Um, lastly kindness is the best argument no matter who you're dealing with Kindness is the best starting position. If they are earnest in their questions, kindness allows the conversation to remain productive and cordial. If they are on the edge of hostility, kindness will often bring the discussion back to a level playing field. If they're downright malicious, kindness will place a wedge between you, your two arguments, giving more weight to your side and allowing honest onlookers to see the contrast between the two sides, hopefully allowing them to parse out the truth more easily. If your starting point is malice, no matter how convincing your argument is, nobody involved will be convinced. We must remember that scoring a point in this sports analogy is akin to helping a gospel truth click with an honest seeker, The point isn't to win an argument it's to stand for true principles that have real world effects on people who adopt them in their lives. Uh, Call me pessimistic but I don't see a world where the divisiveness we witness day after day gets better before the savior returns. Somehow we have to figure out how to coexist with people ever set on calling our beliefs evil and backward Somehow we have to find the appropriate balance between standing for truth and turning the other cheek. Thankfully, we have ancient records of the only perfect man to ever find this balance. We have the gift of the Holy Ghost who can help guide our efforts, and we have prophets who speak for God and help us in this endeavor. When facing criticism for standing for truth online, it's common to experience a pylon, Once that happens, it can feel overwhelming to receive such a concentrated dose of negativity. This often ushers in a real psychological phenomenon, aptly named information overload. As the name suggests, when we have too much information to sift through, our brains look for the path of least resistance and uh, to get out of that fire hose spray, um, which either means ignoring it or accepting it. There is a third option, however, that is usually better. Harder in the short term, but easier in the long term. We can acknowledge the criticism, stand firm in our convictions, adapt our position as needed, and use a little faith to sort through our questions and doubts. And if all else fails, we can always resort back to insulting their moms and see where that leads. Uh, Let's get Preston in here. Okay, welcome one and all to the second segment of the podcast, second and last segment of the podcast where we have Preston in. Hello. Which is the reason everyone listens to the podcast. That is not true. Um, We start today with a little bit of somber news. Um, Preston, do you want to... Just take it over since you're the one bringing this upon the masses. <laughs> okay, well, first
1: off, uh, this episode and one more episode are lined up and scheduled um, before Sky and I take what we normally would have just done like a holiday break, like we did last year. Um, but also, my wife Taryn and I are moving um, in like December. So, Sky and
0: I <laughs> won't be doing the podcast, at least in this capacity. Uh, for a while. So, yeah, we don't really know the future of, of the podcast. So we'll have our, um, I I think, I think it's safe to say it'll come back in some capacity Mm -hmm. after our holiday break. Um, but we don't know what that means. Um, yeah. If it'll be just me or me and someone else or me and Preston and sometimes someone else or a mixture of all of it, or we don't know. But yeah, we will let you know. We will let you know. But I, I'm moving for school, so um, I'm gonna be
1: starting school again, but still working full time. so a little selfish to me. Yeah. Hey, take it up with the man upstairs. Uh, it was his idea. I had no intention <laughs> of finishing school, but, uh, be, but because I'm taking picking up school, I had to put the podcast down at least January through April for that semester. So yeah, we'll kind of reevaluate after that.
0: Like I guess family comes first, or whatever. Yeah. Above the, I don't know, above the podcast, though? And school. Sorry, school comes <laughs> before the podcast. What? Oh, man. Sorry. I do not know you thought so little of me. Hey,
1: hey, hey, hey. No, no, no. <laughs> Again, not my idea. I wasn't even asking, I was told. Sure. So here we go. Sure. Okay. And I, I, I'm happy to say, too, though, like, I already know what I'm going to be majoring in. I'm I'm doing the Marriage and Family Studies program at BYU-Idaho, so I'm really looking forward to it. I've already done... Um, one online class and starting another one this week. So um I just want to defend the family and what better way than through a career. So
0: I guess that's admirable. Yeah. I'm just a little bitter if you can't tell, but <laughs> we'll know, we've talked a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, so we'll have this one and then one more before our holiday day break. And then we will just keep you updated about the future of what this will be. Mm-hmm. So, um, our topic today is we, we, we wanted to just give some, I guess, advice or um, gener- like go over our experiences serving a mission. What advice we would give to um, other missionaries who are going out, I guess specifically probably gay missionaries mm-hmm. and kind of the dynamics. Yeah,
1: some of the advice we'll, we'll share today is specifically helpful for uh, missionaries that are gay that will still want to serve Uh, But then I would imagine most of this is just generally applicable too. it's not just for gay missionaries. Yeah. And I hope it's obvious which is which. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it will be. (laughs) And then more specifically, we wanted to highlight the idea of what it means to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ. That's something that we covenant to do when we're baptized. But as missionaries, that's something we physically do. We wear a badge that has his name um right there on our chest the black badge that a lot of people recognize as like the iconography of
0: missionaries yeah that and the short sleeve white shirts yeah and helmets <laughs> helmet oh oh bicycle Did helmets. you never ride a bike?
1: <laughs> you said helmets and I pictured those like toddler helmets that like help reshape their heads why, no? and I was like why would they wear helmets <laughs> Yes yeah, so I rode a bike <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know why that's where my brain went
0: first either. To start off here, um, we had very different experiences on our missions. <gasps> what? Oddly enough, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and we just wanted to highlight those differences because it is um, like there is a big difference between, as far as being a gay missionary, being pub- publicly out or whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it, or um, being closeted or whatever you want to call that. Yeah. And I was um, very much closeted. I had, prior to my mission, come out to a few close family members and friends, um, like a few months before leaving, and that was it. And I always um, talked to like I always confided in my mission presidents and any like significant leaders that I had. So Mm -hmm. that was my experience of um, only being open to a very select few.
1: And on my first mission as well, I was closeted. My m- first mission president was the first person I ever told out loud I'm I'm gay. So um, same. I was what you could call closeted for my first mission. Mm-hmm. Second one was a different story, but yeah. <laughs> so, Should I say it now? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, and then I mean, for people who've been following along and know the story, like I was abused by a companion, and so I came home early and. Then later went back and finished my mission in uh, the States. And on that second mission is when Elder Holland talked about me and my mom in general conference. So I was kind of outed by Elder Holland <laughs> <laughs> in general conference, which uh, I have n- no problems with. I was like, thank you. You did all the work work for me. Now I can just talk to people openly. But, That's um, very funny. So yeah, I was pretty much out the my whole second mission because that happened in my second. No, that happened in my first transfer. So, yeah, I was... Was it my second time? Whatever, it happened in my first area, so I was pretty much out my whole second mission. Everybody knew. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, cool. Well, um, I we have it just kind of, I don't know, organized into like some general advice we would give, and then some principles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gonna differ person to person, but like we ho- we hope that some of these principles will be helpful for anyone going out on a mission, or even if like you're a return missionary as a um what's that like a debriefing Mm -hmm. (laughs) sort of thing it's sometimes helpful to remember and like um context not contextualize um i don't know the word i'm looking for just like think back to your experiences and compartmentalize i think that was the word i was looking for um but yeah my first i guess our first piece of advice um or maybe not advice but Me going into my mission, there are there are um, things that I assumed or I I felt would be the biggest problem of my mission. Mm -hmm. And then there are things which ended up being the actual problems of my mission. And Mm -hmm. those were not the same thing. Expectations versus the reality of it. Yes. So my my biggest worry, I think, is kind of the elephant in the room with a lot of people um, when they think about a gay missionary um, or if you're gay and <laughs> serving a mission, the the worry is being attracted to your companion, mm-hmm. and like, how do you navigate that? Because yep. you are essentially placed with a, I mean, a companion, a, a someone that you're with twenty four seven. How do you navigate that if you end up um, developing some sort of feelings for a companion? Yep. So um, in my experience. I, um, that, that didn't end up being a big problem in my mission. Um, yeah, it came up every now and then. Um, but that wasn't like the main concern that I had, Mm -hmm. which was kind of a blessing. Um, there was kind of a funny, I guess, dichotomy with, um, my first companion was like the the furthest thing away from what you can consider my type. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, this is how it's going to be the rest of my mission, mm-hmm. and God is going to protect me from ever being with someone that I'm attracted to. Um, and then very shortly after that, a, a companion I had was um, definitely more my type, mm-hmm. and and it was kind of a bummer. I was like, oh, great, like this is. It was kind of God reminding me that no, this is a thing that you're going to have to still grapple with. Like you're not gonna be able to run and hide from this forever. Mm-hmm. So that was just the the kind of, I guess it, it set me up for the rest of my mission and and convinced me or like reminded me that this is something that I will have to grapple with and, and figure out. And, and that you can't just, like you said, hide yeah.
1: from it. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. I don't know.
1: What was yours? Um, well, on my first mission, it wasn't really an issue because I wasn't well. I mean, the abuse happened my second transfer and so for the rest of my mission I was I wasn't well um mentally and emotionally and so I wasn't paying attention really I mean I was I was pretty broken but on my second mission in the states I uh no I I definitely had a couple situations where I was attracted to a companion and yeah it was just funny how it turned out (laughs) yeah I mean I you can find this story elsewhere I've said I've talked about this on other occasions but bottom line I just called my mission president and I was like um what do I do in this situation and he was like I don't know like and I was like what do you mean you don't know like what do I do and he was like well like and he, he was a great leader he just asked questions to gauge where I was at and like how I was feeling and he asked, like, well, is this an emergency? Like, is this something that needs to be... Do we need to do something about this today? And no, it wasn't that kind of a situation. And I was like, no, but it's frustrating and it's maddening when I have to be with this person and we sleep in the same room, we eat at the same time, we talk all day together. And and again, he's a good person. Like, oh, that was my weakness was like, oh, he's not some like punk little teenager. Like, this is actually (laughs) like a good person. And so my mission president was super great. He asked a bunch of questions and then was like, wow, that actually must be really hard. i was like, I know. (laughs) And then he was like, well, is it something that you can wait? And like, can you get through a, a full transfer, which is six weeks? And I was like, yes, but, but nothing beyond that. And so my mission president and I just decided that I would have a new companion every transfer after that, just to keep things moving. And, and then I could handle that. Like if, if I ever did have feelings for another companion, it was just like, oh, well, yeah, that's annoying, but I'm only with this person for six months. It's not going to – I don't six need weeks. to worry about – Oh, six weeks. Sorry. Thank <laughs> you. I'm, I'm only going to be with this person for six weeks, so I don't need to worry about it as much. And like Sky said at the beginning, you learn to put your focus on other things. Like that That wasn't this all-consuming thing until it was, and it worried me, and then my mission president and I worked something out so that it it, it didn't have to be anymore. And so, yeah, just – I think our general advice would just be like, allow yourself to be surprised by what actually will bother you. And if something genuinely bothers with you, counsel with your leaders um, and counsel with the Lord about what you should counsel with your leaders about. Because um, it can work.
0: Like, mm-hmm. it, it can totally work. Uh, it doesn't have to be a deal breaker. Yeah. And and it's a little bit of a cliche, but like like the thing that helped me the most when I found myself in that situation of being attracted to a, a companion or just another missionary that was close in proximity it it really is just um, like refocusing your mind on things that you are supposed to be focused on, like mm-hmm. the work and your investigators and the studies and, and whatnot. Because yeah. if you, uh, I mean like th- there's a balance to be struck because you don't, you don't want to just like bury these feelings. But at the same time, if you entertain these like feelings or whatever it, it it will, the, the temptation will increase in frequency and intensity. Yeah. That's just the nature of, of, um, romantic feelings. Well, and, and I think, I think I've mentioned this before on
1: previous episodes, but I, I thankfully before my second mission had a great counselor who, who helped me learn some just like mental thought templates, um, so, I mean, those were really helpful too, of just like, yeah, this guy's attractive, but all of these feelings that I have, I can't wait to explore those with my wife. And like, he taught me how to, cause you're not suppressing it at that point. You're just redirecting it. It's like, okay, yeah, I have all these feelings about this person, but this isn't the person that I'm going to explore that with. My future spouse is the person that I'm going to explore this with. And so, yeah, things like that, um, helped a, lo- a ton uh, in the day-to-day activities. So. Yeah. Just learning those mental
0: processes. Yeah. And and like you said, be like you can have expectations. It's hard not to have expectations, yeah. but be ready for those expectations to be dashed. Because <laughs> what ended up being like the, the greatest difficulty of my mission wasn't being attracted to other missionaries. Um that came up every now and then, but it, it really was more just the the inevitability of the politics that happen when you gather together any group of people, but I think especially a big group of college-aged um, young men and young women, mm-hmm. and just kind of the the dynamics that can spring out of that yep. are very unique. It's a very unique environment, something that you don't really experience anywhere else, Yeah, I would say. At least not
1: with that potency, right? I mean, we th- think we might see like the same general patterns with members at large, but missionaries are such a concentrated group that we really see what's going on with missionaries. Like it, I, I they're so concentrated, I feel like it's more visible. Yeah. Whereas I, th- I think that kind of behavior happens with members all over the world, but we're more spread out and we don't spend every day with each other. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's such a concentrated group and it potent (laughs) for for good for
0: evil or for a whole mushy mess in between like yeah it's 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 all of it because it's people (laughs) yeah it is people and it's uh, you have to remember that you are working with people and people will make mistakes even Mm -hmm. leaders and um people that you look up look up to are still human and, and will make mistakes um i know on my mission i I one of the few leaders that I did confide in my sexuality, I did come out to, however, you want to say that, um, ended up, I guess, sharing it with a, another leader. And it started this snowball, this rumor um of me being gay, which obviously was true, but still. <laughs> um, but it, it ended up um not getting back to me until my very last companion and my very last, I think, transfer. And, um, that was hard. Like it it was hard to have something that I haven't chosen to open up about yet, have that, um, go public or like go broad within our circles. And, um, I, at that point was still just kind of denying, denying, denying. And Mm -hmm. so even when my companion, um, asked me about it, he, he just can't, like one day we were talking and, um, asked me about it like did you know that this is a thing is this a thing like tell me more um and i just denied because i wasn't in a place to be honest about it yet mm-hmm. <laughs> um and i was bitter about that for for a little while but i had to just remember that again these are imperfect people and um yeah that leader shouldn't have sp- spread that that way i confided in in confidence um but i i just realized that like the old adage is true that uh, like grudges only affect you and mm-hmm. only hurt you and so i just had to learn to to give that up and um eventually was able to and moved on and it was fine yeah <laughs> well and and
1: on that note i for me the biggest struggle and the for uh, on my mission was also just general like wickedness always weighs heavy on me and and, in myself and in others and yeah especially when it was like a companion um but but just general advice then would be when you come home from your mission get over yourself (laughs) uh i have been to so many return missionary what are those called Homecoming. uh, homecoming i know we don't call them that technically anymore but whatever that's what they are still they still do it um, I've heard so many return missionaries tell the same kind of story. Oh, and, and then this, this transfer was hard because that's when I had my hard companion. But the Lord showed me how to serve and I helped rehabilitate this poor fool. And it's just, I am so sick of hearing that because I'm like... Mm. When were you the problem? I know exactly which companions I was a problem for, and I have reached out and apologized multiple times to these people and been like, I'm sorry. I was so (laughs) terrible of a companion. It's like, I want to hear those stories. of Like, when you realized you were a problem and you changed, not, oh, I was so much better than this person and I helped them. Just get over yourself. Like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. Like, own your weaknesses and turn them into strengths and... Talk about how Christ helped you through that process, not how, like, you were so good to this really bad companion and now they're better. <laughs> great great advice. Know, that was, that was great lying. advice from Preston. Sorry. I'm, I'm not over that. I can tell. <laughs> and here I am telling them to get over themselves and I'm not over it. Are you over Hypocrisy? yourself? <laughs> I'm starting with the man. In the middle. <laughs> never
0: thought, never thought I would hear Michael Jackson on on this podcast. Well, but here there we you are. have it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think things are a little bit different these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sound like an old man back in my day. Back in my day, which was how old am I? Twenty? I guess seven ish years ago. I am not doing that <laughs> math. I refuse. <laughs> but like even even as recently as that. Um, we were getting iPads and Facebook as like the trial Mm -hmm. run and, and we didn't even have it in ours. We didn't even have smartphones. Right. So So, like there was a little bit more isolation, I think, um, than it is now. Like now missionaries can, I believe every Monday can talk to their family. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's a lot less isolation, which I think is a good thing. And, um, part of me, part of me, um, is a little bit nostalgic of like, how it used to be where it was more isolating because of the good effects of that, because like you can focus more on the work and your spirituality and things like that. But I do see the, the negative effects and like mental health is an issue and that sort of isolation can, um, really exacerbate that. And so I see, see why they did it. But, um, yeah, part of me is like, I wish it was how it used to be just the nostalgic side of me. Yeah. but um times are changing the n- next i guess piece of advice is just to allow yourself and facilitate good experiences on your mission and recognize that those experiences are often within your control or like you can f- facilitate environments where spiritual and good experiences can happen mm-hmm. i just i know that the, like the moments in my mission where I had a really good experience never came at a time where I expected. But there were always when we were making an effort to um, to put ourselves out there or like to work despite not wanting to or something mm-hmm. like that. There was just one experience where um, it was my first area. I was still, still very new missionary, very shy, very introverted um, still fairly introverted, but <laughs> much more at that time. And, um, I was on exchanges with a zone leader. He was in my area, which was, um, it was a great town, but very isolated. Like the, the closest other companionship was a half hour away mm-hmm. and we were, um, the only companionship in that area. So pretty isolating, um, very small farming town. I don't know if they farmed <laughs> just a very small town in Oregon. It was called Venida um a lot of great people there anyway um we it was we had gotten back from dinner and it was eight o'clock at night and pitch black and i just kind of wanted to call it a day and um, start planning mm-hmm. you're supposed to stay out until nine um is the general rule i guess um so i wanted to stay in but my my zone leader was like let's just go on a walk like let's just go out there and um we took a walk it was a complete ghost town we didn't see a single soul and it was um pretty eerie it was like foggy and a fall night and very picturesque i guess but we ended up just um just chatting and um like sharing experiences together and it ended up just being something that i needed just like a confidence booster for me Mm -hmm. um i said something that was funny and for some reason when I'm like back then when I said something funny and someone thought it was funny that was like a big confidence boost for me so it ended up just being something that I needed and not necessarily some big miracle that happened where we found someone and baptized them like mm-hmm. a lot of I guess what I'm saying is a lot of experiences in the mission you can't measure and um you should just be willing to like, put forth the effort and see what happens and, like, see the miracles that come out of just putting in effort and being willing to do whatever you can to facilitate good things. Mm-hmm.
1: So piggybacking what Sky just talked about, um, another piece of advice that I would give is make the Holy Ghost your favorite companion. Um, kind of what I said at the beginning It's just... you you've covenanted to take upon you the name of Jesus Christ since you were baptized. And there's a reason that baptism goes with confirmation, receiving the gift of the Holy ghost. Um, Because if you're going to take on the name of Christ and become like him, you need the gift of the Holy ghost. You need his help. And I don't know, maybe it's because I just had so many companions at the end of my second mission. After those two years, I had 17 companions. I had so many companions and it just made me think and reflect a lot of about, you know, the Holy Ghost was my favorite companion because he helped me know how to handle all those companions. And um, I mean, the better I was at listening and seeking revelation. But it would just be follow the Holy Ghost, make him your companion. Don't do things that would compromise that relationship. Um, because Sky's whole experience that he just shared w- wouldn't have happened if he had, hadn't done what he was supposed to do. And because he did, it allowed for a, a really powerful, subtle, but powerful spiritual experience overall. Mm-hmm. So just don't compromise your relationship with the Holy Ghost. Make him your favorite companion. Um, and, and on that note, make sure you keep that going. Um, I, I find it so tragic that so many members, decades after their mission have to go back to their mission to think of their most profound spiritual experiences. That to me sounds backwards. Your your most profound spiritual experiences should be recent. Um, you're You're not always meant to be on a mission, but you're always meant to be a missionary. And you need the Holy Ghost for that for the rest of your life. I remember I was teaching at the MTC after my missions were over, and one of my missionaries we were we were walking between buildings and he made the comment of like uh, in that regard he was like yeah i hear you just you just don't feel the spirit as much after your mission and i turned on him and i was like did you just say i don't feel the spirit as much and he was like well, no brother jenkins i wasn't saying that and i was like you just implied that the best is behind me that all my spiritual experiences have peaked and it's just downhill from now and he was like oh i'm like yeah there's something really wrong with what you just said no I just had a great spiritual experience earlier today. So I was like, don't you... No. Know? Uh, so make the Holy Ghost your favorite companion because he'll help you with all the rest of life. Um, and more than that, he's the one that sanctifies you and burns testimony into your soul so that you're converted and can become like Jesus Christ. You You need him for so much. You can't do the work
0: if you don't have him with you. So... I would have liked to have you as an MTC teacher. I think that would have been fun.
1: I hope my boss isn't <laughs> listening to
0: this. <laughs> yeah, the, I love the sassiness. I think would you? Yes, because I
1: was. I was just like, no, that's dumb. Like, don't think that that's dumb. Like, no, come back to the doctrine of Christ.
0: Stop being weird. Um. Yeah. No, I think I was that, a little more blunt. I think that is important though, because just like it's it's human nature to very quickly forget very even very profound experiences Mm -hmm. and how you felt like regarding spiritual experiences it's very easy to forget those after time has passed and so it is essential to have many opportunities and many experiences that affirm your faith and remind Mm -hmm. you well and like sky said those
1: are in that's in your power like you control that at the end of the day whether or not you have the Holy Ghost with you as a constant companion is up to you. It's not up to your companion. It's not up to your area and how successful it is on the outside. That was in quotes, how how outwardly successful it is. It, it's up to you whether or not the Holy Ghost is going to be with you. And if you want to know how to do that, it's in the scriptures. We can talk about that another time. <laughs> Live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah.
0: Um, and more like I, I think a practical piece of advice, um, something that you brought up and, and that I... Share feelings about is, um, like as a missionary, you use, um, you use parameters to measure interactions you have with people and invitations you, um, extend. You use basically numbers to um, measure your, or in a lot of cases, missionaries use it to measure their success. Mm-hmm. And it's like a fine balance to find because each number does represent an interaction or an experience where you are able to share um, the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody. So like each of the numbers is significant, but at the same time you you don't want to use that as a measure of success. It can be very easy to go into kind of businessman mode and just look at, look at them as numbers rather than as, People and, mm-hmm. and get really caught up in that. And so the advice would be
1: resist the temptation to focus on numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you won't find success there. You won't find peace there. And you certainly won't find Christ there. He was not number obsessed. Uh, no, no. He was much more obsessed with doctrine and people and making sure people understood doctrine mm-hmm. and inviting and helping those that would listen. It wasn't a, we got to get three more. It's like, ah, chill out. <laughs> chill out. If you're at a 12, we need you at an 8. Like, just <laughs> chill out. <laughs> chill out. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like such a hippie on my second mission because I was 24 and then and turned 25 while I was out there. And, yeah, I just saw so many high-strung 18-year-olds. And I was just like, y'all, just chill out. <laughs> it's fine. I'm not saying disobey. I'm just saying chill out. <laughs> focus on the right <laughs> things. Focus on the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Don't focus on numbers. Mm-hmm. The, use them as a tool. Like like Sky said, they're a tool. You use them to measure certain things. They
0: they definitely have a use, but they should not be the focus. Mm-hmm. And kind of on that note, um, something that I don't really have a place for, but another piece of general advice for, mm-hmm. for any missionary is um, to... Convert um, or like make friends on your mission, but don't convert people to you. Convert them to the gospel. That's Mm -hmm. something that you see really frequently and that I experienced is you create these really great connections with people and you do have spiritual experiences with them and are able to facilitate that spirit. Um, But a lot of times the focus becomes on your relationship to where when you move on to a different area, um, it just kind of cuts off and their they're, they're they're, um, they're line to the church and to missionaries is cut off because you're gone. Mm. Um, so that's, it's a really obviously hard thing to navigate, but um, just like like you said earlier, focus on the doctrine and like what makes the doctrine so necessary and needed and important. Focusing on that while maintaining a, a real relationship mm-hmm. is, is really important too. Because um, again, like you are going to move on as a missionary, you're going to eventually go home and you'll stay in touch with these people, um, but you can't be their only conduit or like only connection to Christ. Mm-hmm. No, well said. And, and what
1: we say, sorry, we haven't like just explicitly said this when we talk about focus on the doctrine of Christ or live the doctrine of Christ, we're talking about the the article of faith. Number four, uh, those four tenets of the gospel of Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ unto repentance, making and keeping covenants so that you can have the gift and companionship of the Holy ghost. And then repeating that as a lifestyle is called enduring to the end. Um, but yeah, just that—that's what we talk about when we focus on the doctrine of Jesus Christ,
0: and and when we strive to live it as mm-hmm. individuals. Yeah. So to, to wrap things up here, <clears throat> um, shifting gears a little bit, what um, what does it mean to take our, our upon ourselves the name of Christ specifically, or not even not specifically, just in general on a mission, but also after what does that mm-hmm. mean, Preston? Um. Well.
1: I've kind of alluded to this earlier, but it it's more than just wearing a black badge. It's more than just saying it. It should be a lifestyle. It should be a focus of our lives. Um, Living the gospel of Jesus Christ has many daily little choices. It's not just a, I chose to be baptized one and done. Um, uh, We're not that kind of a church. We, we've, That's not the church that Christ established. He expects us to have our whole heart given over to him um, and have our full devotion be to him. Um, So taking on the name of Christ implies a lot of daily choices, not just big events. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. It it also, I think, is just um, doing everything that you can to be clean and to act as a clean conduit for the light of Christ to shine through. Like
1: mm-hmm. well said, I love that idea.
0: Yeah. The more, the more you can, cause that's, um, you were saying earlier in planning that that's what you have control over. You have control over your cleanliness, your repentance, like where you are. That's what you have control over. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the spirit can use you to more effectively show that light or that, that truth to, Others, Yeah. I remember having like that
1: distinct realization on my mission of, wow, I'm not enough. Like there's more to do more that is needed of me than I have. I'm not enough. And some stupid little social media post will tell me that I'm enough. (laughs) And that's a lie. I I am not enough. There are things that are before me that are bigger than me. Um, But with Christ, I have the strength I need. And and it's not my strength; (laughs) it's his strength that's working through me because I choose to be clean and repent. Um, And so, yeah, that's in our power. And you said conduit. There's different analogies that people use for this. You can say crystal or prism or light bulb or whatever. Like we are to be a clean channel. Um, We don't have to be the light itself. Uh, I've struggled with perfectionism as a missionary as well, and it's again you you're not going to be enough that's not the goal as a missionary the goal as a missionary is to be a clean instrument so that he can work through you um and so that you can invite and help effectively um people come into Christ that that's that's the only thing in our power i can't make people's choices for them but i i can repent every day and choose to be clean so that i can
0: invite and help people yeah so well said I think part of it also is just being willing to take on, like, a small, very small portion of the ridicule um, Mm -hmm. and mockery that Christ endured. Like, his message was, um, it had the potential to be unifying, but unifying under God, like, through God's truth. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is, like, it's not inherently unifying. It is more, um, I would say, polarizing. Like, it is... Christ talks about in Matthew ten. He says, "Think not that I come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword." And then he goes on to talk about, "I am um, come to send man at variance against his father, and daughter against mother, and daughter and law against mother-in-law, and and a man's foes shall they um, shall be they of his own household." Yep, so like he he. I don't think he takes pleasure in that, but he is just stating the reality that this message that, that Christ has, it is polarizing and it is going to create tension, like he said, even within households, which is kind of a sobering reality, but something that we all experience and and rings true mm-hmm. because it, it is not meant to be just like a very easy um fluffy message that is that we can all accept and get behind like it is there are very hard truths to grapple with Mm -hmm. one of um in another
1: scripture it talks about how Christ would be a, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense Christ offended a lot of people not because he wanted to not because he was trying to he just told people about father and father's plan and father's truth and was building his kingdom and that offended a lot of evil people um, or unrepentant people, because some of them chose to change, thankfully. Um, hopefully that's the category that we find ourselves in more often, is the category that takes the critique and changes for the better. Yeah. And, and I love that too, what you said too, about just sharing in some of that experience with him. I, I will not say that missions are easy, but I didn't want an easy one. How dare I claim to represent Christ and live a cushy life when he didn't? Like, that that seems silly. And while we don't tolerate abuse and we make sure that we reach out for help when those kinds of things are happening, especially on a mission, um, I still don't, like, regret going on my mission. Like, just, just because those things happen, it's not like, well, it shouldn't have happened. It's like, well, it did and have you read the book of mormon Uh, missionaries don't always have a good time like some of them had some pretty terrible experiences i don't know why i thought it would be all cushy again that like expectations versus reality like you were talking about earlier yeah missions are hard when you stand for truth and who knows better than christ what it's like to have companions betray him or what it's like to be ridiculed by people who should get it people that should understand it and won't it's a whole mix yeah again you're in good company when you are out trying to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And in a general sense, if you're not currently a missionary, it's it when you're trying to live it, like it's it's okay to I'm not saying it's okay. How do I want to word this? When that opposition comes, you're in good company. Yeah.
0: Good way to put that.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Like <laughs>
0: I just like it was just like so profound and dumbfounding that I had nothing to add at the end of that. Do you have anything more to add before we close for today? Um I feel
1: like I do need to say a little bit more about abuse. Okay. Just because of my experience I feel like I would be remiss if I was giving mission advice and I didn't talk about this. Mm-hmm. Just really quick say something. If it's happening to you or somebody else that you become aware of, say something. Um, while I don't think we should like preempt things and like cut people off before they have the chance to make a bad choice, meaning like, well, this person never should have gone on a mission. It's like, I don't, I don't agree with that idea. I don't believe that. But when you know something bad is happening, you need to speak up, speak up. And I didn't on my first mission. I didn't say anything. Um, and when I did, I didn't, I wasn't fully honest about what was happening, And therefore, what do you know? My leadership couldn't do anything about it. It wasn't until I said all of what had happened that somebody could finally do something about it. So just say something. We don't have to tolerate that. Um, We're all adults and we can do something about it.
0: Yeah, and whether that is physical or emotional abuse or sexual Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be, Um, especially I think emotional abuse is a lot harder to pin down. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't. I wouldn't say I was emotionally abused, but I did have one companion um, where it kind of bordered on that. He was going through his own issues and lashed out in some ways that were inappropriate and, and, and nothing huge, but um, definitely bordering on the emotional abuse border. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and at the time, I, n- I never considered that possibility. The more I've thought about it, the the more I've I've thought like maybe – I, I mean, in retrospect, it definitely would have been better to say something. Um, but, I mean, it, it, end, it ended up working out and, like, he apologized after the mission and and whatnot. Um, but, but if you are in those moments where it, it's, like, bordering and you aren't sure, you can always talk to a leader and ask, like, ask those questions and speak up. Because, th- like, the worst that could happen is... Um, things get better <laughs> mm-hmm. or like you are taken out of the situation if it is bad enough. Yeah. But j- just like, I think keeping that in mind because emotional, emotional abuse is a lot harder to recognize and pin down, especially if you're in the throes of it mm-hmm. Um, because it can be very subtle and yeah, some, something that is like nailing jello to a wall. It's hard <laughs> to pin down.
1: Yep. So. But again, we we don't have to tolerate that on a mission. Nope.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, unless you have anything else, I guess that ends our second to last episode.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: <laughs> um. Again, I'm going to plug it until you're gone. Until we're not doing this anymore, go buy Preston's book that goes over a lot of what you shared today mm-hmm. um, and is very very um inspirational and and um motivation what's the, <laughs> what's the word i'm looking for and it's good it's okay good. it's good uh, yeah so yeah go go on buy Amazon. preston's book and we um yeah follow us on social media we have one more episode in this season um but even after that i will always post things on social media um clips or thoughts or just whatever. So, follow us on social media, Instagram, TikTok and Twitter or Facebook. Um, but other than that, we'll uh, see you in the next one. Bye.